1: Listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world
2: champions.
1: Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This
2: game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz.
1: And featuring Keaton DeRosier. It's a grand slam.
2: Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 279 of the show. Bob, welcome back. Uh, We are again running a two-man booth uh, this week because our our buddy Keaton is uh, waylaid with some work, but how are you doing tonight? That's all right. We'll make it work. Uh, I'm doing well.
0: little down about uh this team over the last few days not not what we were expecting compared to the last time that we recorded when we were kind of red Sox were on a roll so um i don't know I'm, i'm hanging in there though how are you doing
2: yeah i'm doing pretty good um i gotta say i have like a little bit of built up energy for talking about the red Sox because it's been a couple weeks for me since i've been on uh for various reasons and um you know, since then I think it's been more winning than losing for sure. So, you know, I've been kind of building up the positive energy. So even with the three game sweep against St. Louis, I'm still feeling pretty good about this this baseball team, particularly the offense. So I, I guess I'm I'm a little more optimistic than than I was coming into the season.
0: That's good. You got some of that, you know, semi optimism out uh in your writing today which uh, seemed like it was well received by everybody,
2: right? <laughs> yes, the people uh, the people love optimism about the Red Sox. it's it's hilarious. you're damned if you do damned if you don't with this team. It's uh, you you either say mean things about high Bloom and his roster construction and people yell at you or you say nice things and people yell at you so you know yeah you're, you can't win You, you, you went
0: pessimistic win. for a good six months and that's what you get for changing your tune a little bit
2: exactly yep yeah. so on today's show we're going to be talking about the bullpen we're going to be talking about the uh the rotation and what's going to happen with that over the next couple of weeks um, we're gonna hit on some you know new players here uh, pablo Reyes being one of those a promotion and then we'll get to a couple of listener questions but let's start off with the biggest news and i think that that's uh you know at the back end of the bullpen this weekend, the Red Sox had leads on both Friday and Saturday, heading into the ninth inning. Um, both days, Kenley Jansen, who you know we have talked about on this show many times, as being one of the best additions to the club um, and one of the best closers in all of baseball, he coughed up the lead in both of those games. So both meltdowns resulted in losses. Um, you know, I think the first one uh, was a little bit forgivable because. You know, he he just had all those emotions of his 400 save, and he was coming in, and you know, it happens. Sometimes you just get got one game, but the second one, I had the pleasure of being at the park while it was happening and not knowing what the hell was going on with uh, the violations that were getting called against him, and he couldn't find the zone with a map, and then the the ump was kind of pinching him, and it was just it was brutal to watch. So, I guess you know bird's eye view here i know that you were you were down in the cape but you had the uh, pleasure of listening to the meltdown uh, on the radio what are your thoughts about kenley here and and how worried are you about him
0: yeah that was tough and it was really um outside of the violations just kind of watching slash listening to the same thing two consecutive days where he wasn't fine in the play. He just kind kind of seemed to be off, whether it was mechanically or, um, you know, a little bit mentally with what was going on with the violations. And then there was an error, key error with Kike throwing the ball away, um, that brought the go-ahead run in on Saturday. <clears throat> when he um, when Jansen got the save on Wednesday against Atlanta, he was he came out throwing 99. He was 98, 99 the whole outing. And he was definitely extra amp for that 400th save, but part of me was just thinking, I don't I don't know if I like how hard that he's throwing. He doesn't need to be throwing 99 to be great, you know? And sometimes you see that happen, and then there's an injury that follows or something like that. Not like there's been any rumor of an injury, but um, I don't know, something, something about it, I didn't love that he was throwing that hard because I don't think he needs to. <clears throat> Looking back... Um, you know, with, with Jansen in previous years. And I I know this because, you know, Kenley Jansen always finds a way on my fantasy teams and there's like two weeks every year that he just is pissing me off even before he was a Red Sox. And I was going back through his game logs in the last few years. And I, I knew that, that this had happened before, you know, late in 2020, um, he gave up three runs and then the, in his next outing, he gave up five runs and six hits and didn't get an out in consecutive outings and then the eight outings after that were all scoreless he just kind of figured it out and didn't give in the 2020 case he didn't give up a run the rest of the season and he fixed it and ended up being fine and then in 2021 it was similar to what we saw the other day where they happened on consecutive days when he was pitching for the dodgers and it was against the giants he gave up three runs on three hits one day and then the next day they ran him back out and he gave up four runs on four hits and two thirds of an inning and then after that it's just a whole lot of goose eggs if you look at his game log and he was great for the rest of the season so with jansen i think i don't know for sure right but i think that he'll straighten it out i think that he has some rough patches where he'll go through two or three games and he He's off. I mean, there's a whole lot going on with his mechanics. He's moving and shaking all over the place and changing up his delivery and his timing and the pitch clock and everything else. I think he'll be okay because he looked so good in every outing before that. Um, but you know, it's definitely a cause of for concern. It was an infuriating uh, weekend to watch from start to finish.
2: Yeah, it was particularly upsetting to watch because you know it it bookended two really good starts from, from both James Paxton and Chris sales, especially it was the best start that we've seen from sales since probably 2018. Um, But yeah, I I think uh, what you're saying is this is ultimately good news that he's getting his bad outings out of the way, you know, now in may um, even though, you know, both of his bad outings resulted in losses that would have otherwise been wins. I'd rather have him doing that in May than if the Red Sox are still kind of in the the wild card hunt come August September. Um, I'd rather have him locked down then. So I, I think the way to handle this is probably just to do nothing. Just maybe give him a couple days to clear his head and yeah. have him work with the pitching coach and get him right back in there. I'm I'm kind of one of these these guys that's a big proponent of. Um, You know, closers are supposed to have that short memory, that memory of a goldfish, get right back in there. That's kind of why I didn't have a problem with Cora going back to him um, on Saturday. After the uh, blow up on Friday, I was like, no, you know what, this is what I would do. Um, I I didn't have a problem with that. What did you think about him going right back to him after having a rough outing on Friday? Yeah, that's what
0: I would do. You you don't want them just stewing on that for a few days, you know, and, and... He got him right back out there. Jansen wanted to get right back out there. Um, I think that's the right move. I mean, sometimes you just don't have it, and unfortunately he didn't have it two days in a row, and the reasons were a little bit different, and he, and he was certainly accountable after the second game um, about what happened, but <clears throat> there was a decent amount of gamesmanship going on there with Contreras, who kind of figured out that he could was not fully engaged right as the hitter going against the pitcher at eight before eight seconds by having one foot in the box and then he hadn't put his second foot in yet and that was a rule that I didn't know about although I guess I'm not a major league pitcher but um, you know Jansen was accountable and that he felt he he definitely should have known the rules but um, hadn't seen that happen hadn't encountered that before so Contreras was certainly ahead of the game with that and said in the post game with some of his quotes that he had been kind of changing up his timing and stuff like that throughout the year. So, um, that game was a little bit different in terms of what happened between that and the error. Um, you know, he only ended up giving up one hit in that game and it was, uh, Gorman that got him two days in a row. Yeah. That was <coughs> smoked. That was absolutely right. smoked after the home run the day, the day before. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. I you know, they they didn't need him Sunday. They're behind on Monday. Hopefully a couple days off, he can get back out there on Tuesday. And uh, if it doesn't
2: go well, then it might be a different story. It was kind of impressive, too, to see the uh, St. Louis Cardinals run out three straight pinch hitters who are all pretty effective. You know, Donovan yeah. uh, got the intentional walk and then I believe it was uh, Gorman who got the hit or maybe those two things were reversed. I think those two things were reversed and then it was Burleson coming in and getting the hit. And I think the most surprising thing was the play that uh, he made in left field too, because he's such, he's such a big unathletic guy to see him, you know, out there in left field, actually making a play that was kind of shocking, but Yeah. yeah, they made all the right moves in that game. The Red Sox gave it away. Um, but well, yeah, I know, still Mar- really like Mar- him. Marmol might
0: be uh managing for his job there, so
2: he's going to pull all those strings. The way that the the season has started in St. Louis before this weekend. Yeah, well, he he he's got to as you said. I mean, they're still in last place and I think it's worth um talking a little bit about that rule and that was the thing that had me scratching my head cuz at the ballpark I couldn't hear, you know, anything that was going on or or whatever was being said. Um but the rule is essentially that, you know, it, it's on the hitter to be in the box ready to hit with eight seconds left, but um, the pitcher cannot start his motion until the, the hitter is in the box before eight seconds. And because uh, Jansen said he was basically not looking at the dude's feet, he's kind of just staring in at his catcher and looking at. Contreras' upper body. He just assumed that he was in the box, so that's why he started the motion twice, and that's why the balls were called on him twice. So it's kind of a weird rule, and uh, I think that some people's problem with it is that the the batter can mess with the pitcher, whereas the pitcher doesn't have as much freedom to mess with the batter. So maybe that's something they'll take a look at. But I mean, honestly, the the pitcher, the pitching coach, you know, the catcher. The manager. Everybody has to kind of be more alert for this type of stuff, and I think that as time goes on, this this type of thing probably uh, won't won't be an issue again. I'd guess.
0: Yeah, I think that the players knew they're gonna have to work the kinks out a little bit. I think the lead the league has to. Um, I know they made some adjustments with, you know, Scherzer was kind of playing mind games a little bit and trying to time everything so they made an adjustment for the pitchers and they might have to do the same thing going back with the hitter so that you know that everybody's kind of aware of what the time is that they have to be in there and that you know that's that's not kind of the spirit of the rule whether right. it's for the pitcher or the hitter it's more to just keep the game moving not to try to get something in a one second window to time it perfectly um, so I think they'll probably do that I also think they need to do a better job. With the crowd to let them know what's happening. If you're at the game, you're clueless. I think, um, you know, if you're listening to the game and you can't see the umpire and what they are doing, you know, pointing to their watch or whatever it is when there's a violation, a lot of times the announcers don't know. So they need to do a better job of explaining, um, you know, just briefly or having some sort of indicator as to whether it's a pitcher or a hitter violation uh, because it's really hard to track even watching the game.
2: Yeah, yeah, totally agree. All right, we have some good news, though. Uh, a long winter of discontent is over. Ryan Brazier has been DFA'd by the team uh, to make way for Jolie Rodriguez, the lefty who signed with the team in the off offseason. Um, this is good news. We were all pumped about this. You actually alerted the group chat about this last night. We all responded with some party emojis and, uh, you know... <laughs> We're feeling pretty good about getting old Brazier off the team. Uh, My question to you is, how will you remember Ryan Brazier?
0: You know, I wanted to say that I would remember him for kind of being a pleasant surprise with a, a rubber arm in 2018 and just throwing so many big outs in the seventh and eighth innings just as you know an unexpected pop-up pitcher late in his career it should be that and instead I just think it is going to be more that he was a scapegoat in 22 and 23 as someone who this year was inexplicably offered a contract of over two million guaranteed when probably didn't deserve more than a a minor league invite or a minimum contract Um, you know It it just seemed very strange that that was one of the first decisions, you know. We've got to lock up Ryan Brazier for a year before free agency even started last year. Um, Red Sox stats in his substack today wrote between 2019 and 2023 that 78 relief pitchers uh, with at least 170 innings. Of those 78, Brazier was last in ERA in those five seasons at 514 So he was the worst relief pitcher with a minimum of 170 innings over the last four and a half seasons
2: so unfortunately that's gonna
0: kind of be more how i remember
2: him yeah that's exactly the same for me i mean i get that he was surprisingly good in 2018 and and thank you for that but you know with these middle relief type guys Their effectiveness really only matters is, like, what have you done for me lately type thing. Um, And I will just always remember how long he stuck on this roster because it lasted about three years longer than I thought it should have. And it just got to the point where it was comical, where, you know, we were just kind of talking about what does he have on Cora? What does he have on Bloom? You know, (laughs) what? What's yeah. what's going on here? Like, who's he working for? Why does he have the lifetime contract with the Red Sox? I wish I had job security like Ryan Brazier. <laughs> it's just, uh, it, it got to the point where it was just hilarious. So, um, it, when it finally happened, a lot of catharsis for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason that the fifth, sixth inning reliever for the Red Sox should have been brought up more than almost anybody on our podcast in the last six months. <laughs> um yeah i mean 485 era in 2019 396 in 2020 barely pitched in 2021 then 578 a year ago and 729 this year uh enough was enough and we'll talk about the the roster and how it's kind of um getting a little bit tight both with the rotation and the bullpen but this was the time that decisions needed to be made you know forget about flexibility and options and 40 man and all of that it, it has to they're gonna need to start making some tougher decisions than even Ryan Brazier
2: yeah and I think that brings us to Julie Rodriguez who is now going to be in the bullpen as the third lefty there with uh, Richard Blyer already there uh Brendan Bernardino who's been a really nice surprise but like you know as as guys start to come back um With Bernardino pitching so well and Blyer not looking particularly good, I mean, he's 36 years old and hasn't really looked great this year. Uh, What are you expecting out of Julie Rodriguez, and how do you think they should view him going forward? Um, We got a chance to see him a little bit in the spring. Stuff looked pretty good there. I mean, he's kind of a hard-throwing lefty. Um, What are your expectations?
0: Yeah, I think they'll probably bring him in. In some lower leverage to start, and I think the goal will be for him to be their top left-handed reliever. And that's what they, you know, is incentive-laden, but they gave him at least $2 million with the chance to earn a couple or more. I think what Cora has mentioned, and if you look at his splits, they're very similar between lefties and righties. So <clears throat> with Blyer, where, you know, if he does stay on the roster, I feel like that'll be more, you know, two outs and a tough lefties coming up. They use him against Bryce Harper a lot in that Phillies series. You know, you, you deploy him when you need to get one lefty out um, with the hope that he doesn't need to go three batters. Whereas with Rodriguez, he, you know, the, the average against is 258 for lefties and 269 for righties in his career. You know, OBP, 352 for lefties, 343 for righties. So they're very similar. Um, and I think that Cora would probably feel more comfortable going an inning plus with Joe Ellie Rodriguez, um, just because he can kind of get lefties and righties out similarly. And, you know, that was who they they circled as um, who they wanted to give the money to from, from the left side going into the season. Bernardino was a, a pop-up guy that had been in the Mexican League for a few years and is a great story. And as you said, you know, Blyer's not going to blow you away. So I think that they have pretty high hopes for Rodriguez if he can get in a groove early on.
2: Yeah, I like his stuff. Uh, Fastball change-up combo plays pretty nicely, so I'm excited to see him finally get some innings for this team. I wonder how long they'll keep the three lefties there. I don't think it'll it'll last that long, and I wonder if it's going to be Blyer uh, getting the boot. I kind of think it will be, but we'll see. Uh, Moving on to our next point here, um, James Paxton. Um, We mentioned how good he looked on Friday He struck out nine. He was hitting high 90s. I know you watched this game pretty closely. What was your takeaway from watching James Paxton perform? Um, And how surprised were you that, you know, he really got back on the field? And, I mean, he had had a bunch of rehab outings, but it's completely different than pitching at Fenway Park, and he kind of looked like himself.
0: Yeah, I was kind of blown away in a couple of those innings. He, he gave up the early home run, and as you said, he'd had, what I think, six rehab starts, and they were about half and half for which ones went well. But he came out throwing 97, like sitting 97, and topping out at 98, um, and he was painting the fastball, like inside corner, outside corner, in those fourth, fifth, sixth innings as he was, he seemed to be getting stronger as the game went on, ended up having nine strikeouts. Um, And it was just kind of laughable, the one inning where he got all three guys looking and they were good hitters. It was the heart of the lineup and he got everybody looking. Um, You know, he threw the fastball 61% of the time and the cutter 23% and the knuckle curve 16%, but the curve looked good as well. Um, You know, he ended up getting 10 whiffs on the fastball um but had a whole and then fourteen called strikes. So his fastball had a forty-five percent called strikes plus whiffs rate, which is excellent. Um and I think that he just really kind of I don't know, he, he he outperformed expectations of what I thought he would have coming into his first outing. And essentially, you know, I know he had some a couple innings here and there where he got injured in the starts so and we'll see how long he's able to stay healthy for. But if that's the James Paxton um, that they have and he can give them 20 starts, then it totally changes um, the trajectory of what that rotation could look like. So, you know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself and say that he looks like a, a, the number two pitcher that he was five, six years ago. Um, but, you know, like I said, those are, those are some good hitters that he was going against and uh, made some of them look silly.
2: Yeah, and I think the velocity is really encouraging, too. Like you said, I mean, he's been out of baseball, essentially rehabbing since 2020, um, 2020, 2021, 2022. Didn't really do anything those years. I mean, he pitched 21 and two-thirds innings uh, over those two seasons. But, you know, looking at his velocity when he was really good, his average fastball velocity, last time it was – as high as it is now, granted it was just one start, but you know you have to go back to 2016 when he was kind of starting out in Seattle um, to to get those kind of velocity numbers for him on the fastball. So it really does right. seem like he's healthy. And then if you look at all of the seasons where he's pitched, you know made 20 or more starts, um, every season he's done that, he's had an ERA. In the threes, in one of those seasons, 2017, it was under three. So he's got the capability um, to be a two or a three in a rotation um, if he's healthy. So I think this yeah. is a tremendously exciting development for the Red Sox. Um, and for four million bucks, I mean, if you if you just get 20 starts out of him like that, I mean, that is that is well worth uh the last couple of years of of rehab that he's done so yeah I, and i'm excited
0: when when he opted in for that four million i was always kind of okay with that i mean that that's really nothing as a as a lottery ticket um i think as his rehab went on and it wasn't going well i was having trouble um you know talking myself into giving him a rotation spot it was probably around the time that those starters were pitching a little bit better. And I I didn't really see any of them. I didn't think that Paxton had pitched well enough in the minor leagues to warrant removing any of the pitchers from the rotation. Uh, And as we're going to talk about, I feel a little bit differently now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's also, I mean, he's 34. It's not ancient for a pitcher. He's certainly pitching for his next contract. So he's got to be Highly motivated to prove to everybody that he's healthy. So, uh, And it's also great to have another lefty, uh, too. So I'm just very excited about James Paxton. Much more excited than I thought I was going to be. Um, but I'm even more excited for what we saw from Chris Sale on Saturday. Um, you know, as I said, this was Chris Sale's best game of the year by far. And it's probably his best game in many, many years he had a game score of 80, uh, which is exceptional. Uh, threw eight innings, allowed one run, walked just one, struck out nine. Um, he was phenomenal. He looked in control the whole time. He was efficient. He was getting guys to, you know, make weak contact. Um, he looked confident. He looked not frustrated. He looked like he was having fun out there. Um It was just a very different vibe from Chris Sale because we've seen some of that frustration boil over at different times where he just doesn't feel like he has his stuff or he's maybe a little bit tentative or he's, you know, trying too hard or whatever it is. But, you know, the trajectory that we've seen from Chris Sale uh, lately has been really impressive. And, And I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper look into just how long we've been seeing Chris Sale kind of look like himself. And if we go all the way back to mid-April, uh, April 18th, his last 31 and a third innings pitched for the Red Sox, he's had a 3.16 ERA, an 096 whip, a 24.2% K-walk minus rate, which is 35 strikeouts to just five walks. And that that's your ace. Your ace is back. And I yeah. feel very, very confident in saying that going forward, this is the type of performance, maybe not eight innings, one or run, but like 3.16 ERA moving forward with a whip around one. Absolutely. That's yeah. who Chris Sale is when he's healthy. And that's what I think we're going to get.
0: Yeah, I, I like that you went back five starts because you included the Baltimore semi blow up. Um, yep. But you also included the Minnesota game where he gave up three hits in one run and he struck out 11. You know, I've been going back the last three starts and looking at two walks and 24 Ks in those three starts over 20 and the third innings. Um, you know, either way, whether you look at the last three or the last five, you have to come away from it encouraged. It's especially the last couple of starts where, as you mentioned, his, his confidence, um, you know, he's working quickly and his slider has just been... Dominant, You know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that it's the location of the fastball that he has to play off of. But then once he's getting ahead in counts, and and then he got more confident he was throwing in any count the other day, he threw the pitch 41% of the time, and he was getting crazy amount of whiffs on that. He got 18 swings on the slider, 11 of those were whiffs. So 61% of the pitches that were swung at of sliders were swings and misses. Seems pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty even when they, good. And he was burying it. You know, the right-handed hitters coming from the left side. He was burying it in their, at their back foot, and there was some just silly swings in that game. So that what <clears throat> is what's encouraging to me because the velocity is back. He's spotting the fastball better, and then when he is able to get ahead and counts, that you can tell them the slider is coming. They're not going to be able to hit it when it looks that good. And because of that, he kept his pitch count down um, and was able to get through eight full innings, which he hadn't done in five years, I don't think.
2: Yeah, and, and the thing about Sale is that when he's good out on the mound, he looks kind of like elastic man out there. He's like using his entire body to pitch, but he's doing so in a way that's athletic and in control. And I think that that was the biggest thing when... Um, I think it was his pitching coach, Dave Bush, who just basically told him to go out there and be an athlete. And since he said that to him, he's been a different guy. I mean, he's gone out there and his velo has been way up because he's using his whole body the way that he used to um, to throw. And he's he's really letting it eat. I mean, I I mean, we're talking about ninety nine versus Harper. And then in the eighth inning, he was still pumping ninety seven. In that in that last start. So yeah. if, if that's what you're going to get from Chris Sale, um, that's a front line ace. Absolutely. And that has huge implications for this team, because we know what kind of a trickle down performance that has on everybody, the confidence that they have when he's going to be on the mound, you know, what eight innings does to preserve the bullpen for future games. It's just tremendous.
0: Did you notice in each of those last two outings that when he started to slip a little bit that uh, his infielders kind of brought him in, you know, basically could see him probably getting emotional or whatever they see in the past and went out there and were like, hey, fucking chill, you know, like you can pitch out of this, you'll be all right. And he did in the Philly game where he gave up three, maybe three runs and four hits in an inning. And then got out of it, where he'd let that spiral in the past. And then we gave up the home run to Arenado <clears throat> over this weekend. He gathered himself, and then he got everybody. And then he came out for another inning after that. So I feel like there's some leadership there, and people knowing <laughs> who Sale is, and not just the manager and the pitching coach, his teammates as well, right? who, yeah. who are comfortable talking to him. Whereas you know, a, a younger team. May not know how to handle something like that, especially with a 34 year old pitcher with the temperament that Chris Sale has.
2: Yeah, I think he's almost too intense for his own good. I think he, I think the weight of this contract and the fact that he has been out for so much time of it has just really eaten away at the guy. And I think that is as often as he can go out there and kind of get that reminder that, hey, you know what? I am back, and all that matters is what I'm doing moving forward. Um, it's going to be good things happening for him because the capability is just clearly there. The dude is clearly very healthy for the first time. And I think that, that was sort of the biggest thing that we saw in the first couple of starts this year was just like the guy getting confidence in his own body again. Um, because as, as we've talked about on past shows, He had the weirdest collection of stuff happen to him over the last few years. So, yeah, I I think you can't undersell that, that those, those guys like Kike who have been in the clubhouse for a long time are going out there and just basically reminding him who he is and what he's capable of and just to chill out and have fun with it. Yep, definitely.
1: At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. All
2: right. So the rotation, we've just talked about a couple of the guys. Um, The Red Sox are going to need to make some tough decisions about who is leaving the rotation this week. Uh, Maybe I'm overstating it. Maybe the decisions aren't so tough, but they have six guys in the rotation right now. They're going to have to get back down to five spots. I think we can all agree uh, and and tell me if I'm wrong here, but that Sale, Bayo, and Paxton are the safe guys in that rotation. Are we on the same page there? Yeah,
0: yeah. I okay. would say I would say for now, assuming health.
2: Okay. So that leaves Pavetta, Hauk, and Kluber as the guys who uh, could be on the chopping block. And then we also have to talk about what's going to happen when Whitlock comes back and where he's going to go. But let's start off with the first decision. Who's going to be the first man that you send down to the bullpen or you know, somewhere else, probably the bullpen, uh, out of Pavetta, Hoke, and Kluber? So
0: I'm going to go with Pavetta first. Um, <clears throat> regardless of how defiant Pavetta was when asked about it, after his last outing or, you know, what he's going to say um, in terms of him being a, a starting pitcher. I, I went back and I was looking at his game log the last couple of years and starting around July 1st of last year, and remember around July 1st of last year, we were talking about Pavetta possibly being an all-star. Um, I think his ERA was... Under 2 at the time, he had been coming off a stretch of 11 outings um, entering the month of July. And in those 11 outings, he had been 8-1 with a 1.95 ERA um, over 74 innings. That included a complete game, giving up one run. Um, he was on a roll. So since that time, um, Nick Pavetta has pitched in 24 starts, he is 4-10 and 10 with a 6.09 ERA, a 1.62 whip. Um, he's walked 4.2 batters per nine, and he's given up 1.9 homers per nine. So that's not a small sample in my mind. That's 24 starts of pure misery. Um, so I kind of ran some numbers on fan graphs of pitchers who had pitched Um, Since last July 1st, that cutoff date, anyone who had pitched 100 or more innings in that time, so there's 89 pitchers that qualify for that. So July 1st through today, uh, 89 pitchers. So Pavetta's 6.09 ERA is the worst of those 89 pitchers. Uh, His 1.62 whip is third worst. Uh, Only Brad Keller and Jose Urena of Colorado have worst whips um, if you thought he might have had some bad luck, his FIP is 5.41 in that time, which is fourth worst. Uh, only Josiah Gray, Mike Clevenger, and Jose Urena are worse at FIP. Uh, his walk per nine is the third worst behind Keller and Urena. Uh, 1.9 home runs per nine is uh, second worst in the whole league, with Josiah Gray being the only one worst. Uh, In terms of how hard the ball is being hit off of Pavetta, his exit velocity for pitchers is the second worst at 91.1 miles per hour. Um, The only one who's had the ball hit harder is Framber Valdez, oddly enough, at 91.3, but that's because he has a 65% ground ball rate, so they're just hitting the ball hard into the ground. Um, Pavetta has a 40% ground ball rate, so he doesn't have that excuse And then the only person with a worse hard hit percentage of 47% is Herman Marquez, who pitches at Coors Field half the time. So uh, the results haven't been good. The control hasn't been good. And he's been getting uh, absolutely smoked when it comes to exit velocity and hard hit rate. And outside of the one strikeout per inning, I'm having trouble finding anything to defend Nick Pavetta over the last almost full calendar year at this point
2: well uh that was a thorough takedown of nick pavetta <laughs> i have to say like i have my guy too who i'm gonna talk about but um i was just kind of nodding along and i was just Sorry, thinking about that. been stewing on
0: this for a couple of weeks and it had to come out
2: well it's good it's good it's all good data for the people to know but i just couldn't help but thinking of that uh that gif of the the Simpsons where they're like, stop, he's dead. (laughs) You know. Body bag. Well, you were just going at him with these numbers. You should be at his arbitration hearing for sure. Yeah. um, Because he would not make any money. I'd be happy Um, to. (laughs) I I think that Pavetta ultimately uh, needs to be out of this rotation too. Uh, But he wasn't my first choice. Um, Although I agree with everything you said, Tanner Houck is the guy who I want to see out of the rotation. And I think this kind of has more to do with the fact that I really love Tanner Houck in a relief role than it does, um, you know, maybe. I certainly think that he is just as deserving, probably more deserving of a starter spot than a guy like Nick Pavetta. But I also think, like, when Pavetta moves to the bullpen, like, who the hell cares? You know, it's not going to, he's not going to be a game changer there. With Tanner Houck, I think he can move to the bullpen and be just a sick, like, two to three inning reliever. Sort of that Andrew Miller type guy when he's there. Because when I was looking at his splits um, first, second, and third time through the order, and it's drastic. I mean, the first time through the order, he's holding opponents to a, 374 OPS. He's pretty much unhittable first time through the order. Mm -hmm. Second time through the order, batting average jumps up from 130 to 364 with an 883 OPS. And then third time through the order, it's absurd. The OPS jumps up to 967. So, I mean, it's the same old story that we have seen with him. And then tonight, we saw the same exact story. It got to the fifth inning with Tanner Houck, and the wheels came off. Cal Rally hit the two-run two run home run off of him, and then things unraveled. He ended up giving up four earned runs. Struck out five, but it looked great through the first uh, you know four-ish innings of the game. So, I mean, for me, Houck is absolutely a game changer and a guy who can piggyback off of um you know other starters so i yeah. uh I, I want him in the pen real bad so you know our, our next not to jump the gun but the
0: next discussion is going to be whitlock coming back um, right i think we can jump the gun now yeah so i mean hulk would be second for me and the difference between the two is as you said i think Tanner Houck is a really good pitcher when deployed in the right situation. Um, so, you know, if all seven are healthy, and we'll see if that happens, if that does finally happen and it sticks for a month or two, then those are, the I think, the first two names uh, to go for me. Pavetta, just because of uh, ineptitude, and then Houck because I think that he can be deployed as a, a really effective long man. And be in that role where you throw two or three innings and then take two days off. Um, I think that they're going to need someone like that, especially with Winkowski pitching well and kind of moving to the later innings previously having that role.
2: Yeah, I think that's smart. Um, So, you know, when Whitlock comes back, are you going to deploy him as a starting pitcher? Do you think that's the best role for him on this team? I do.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know there's the whole injury side of things, but I think that he came up as a starter and it's definitely more concerning that he's had another injury this year and it being an arm injury. And I do not have the confidence that I did before that he can hold up for an entire season really in any role at this point until he shows it. But at the same time, I think as a three pitch pitcher, um, that's where I want to see Whitlock. Um, and I think that he showed some of those flashes and then he was hurt again. So would love to see him get in the groove where he throws five or six starts in a row and has the control going and, and just starts to be who we, who we saw early last year. Um, I think Whitlock can be that. And I think he should be.
2: And I would agree that, um, you know, the ceiling for Whitlock is certainly a lot closer to, you know, Bayo Paxton. Maybe not quite the sale ceiling, but like certainly up with those guys who were declaring safe in the rotation, rather than being down there with Pavetta or Hauk or Kluber. Um, and I agree with you; he confidently throws three good pitches, um, has pretty good command. So I think that's the best spot for him as well, and I think that they ought to give him a chance, at least through this year, to try that out. And, you know, if 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 it doesn't work out, then you think about moving him to the pen permanently next year and you kind of build around that. But I agree. The, the thing with Pavetta and Kluber, though, is when you imagine Pavetta and Kluber as potential options to move to the pen, you can't really imagine their stuff playing up drastically the same way that you can... Pauk or a Whitlock there. So I do agree with you that Kluber is probably the guy who, when everybody's healthy, ends up staying there as the fifth starter. I do think one thing that I didn't include on this, which might become interesting, is if Kluber is still struggling to the degree that he is right now, and if he still looks this ineffective, let's just say in a month or so. Do you think about moving Kluber out and maybe you know just simply cutting bait with Kluber and putting a guy like Cutter Crawford in that spot? Because Cutter's a guy who's shown to be pretty effective, uh, certainly in multi-inning stints, and has had a couple of relief appearances of five or six innings that have looked pretty damn good.
0: Yeah, I don't see Pavetta and Kluber both in the bullpen together. Um, I could even see... If, if and I think Kluber's the last four starts has been a little bit better he wasn't great on Sunday night but before that it was some two and three earned run outings you know which is what a fifth starter does I think he'll have a lot of five and a third three earned runs appearances and that's fine <clears throat> but his overall ERA is 641 because of how poor he was at the beginning of the season so you know it's possible that you could move him in a trade you know for <laughs> you wouldn't expect a whole lot back but you know maybe that's a trade that you make for an infielder or a platoon bat or something like that. Of course, you know, I'm not expecting that that there would be a, a ton in return, but it's a it's a veteran arm that has thrown a lot of innings. If they were going to do something like that, I think it it would be a trade rather than a move to the bullpen.
2: Yeah. Or an outright DFA. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Worst case scenario.
2: All right. Well, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch for sure over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and also, you know, take a look at the stats for Brian Bale. Last three starts for him have been really good. So hopefully he's turning a corner. Yep. Uh, Pablo Reyes, uh, who was acquired by the Red Sox from Oakland uh, for cash, made his Red Sox debut on Saturday, played both Saturday and Sunday playing tonight as well. Uh, had a couple of good hits in his debut, made a good play defensively on Sunday night. Um, Made another really good catch, actually, at shortstop tonight uh, as we are recording this. The Red Sox have anything here with with Pablo Reyes? Bit of a journeyman.
0: Probably not. I think think it's good that they did something because it was a farce to have uh, Dahlbeck as your backup middle infielder (laughs) to go behind inexperienced middle infielders already. I mean backing up a shortstop that doesn't really play shortstop and a second baseman that wasn't expected to be called up this year with uh, Dahlbeck, who doesn't play the position, was a borderline mockery. So they they brought in a guy, even if it was from Oakland, on their A team, which tells you something if he's on the A team, but to bring him in and at least kind of reinforce the position with someone who can play defensively a little bit seems to have a, a little pop you know he's got a, a good strikeout rate he didn't strike out at all at any level in the minors so at least he can put the ball in play and make a play which is what they were starting to get out of Yu Chang before he got hurt um so I think it would probably be bridging kind of that backup role until Yu Chang comes back who seems to be ahead of schedule and hopefully be back around June 1st so you know maybe he's here for two weeks and uh makes a couple contributions, but. I'm not expecting him to be uh, on the roster in the stretch run.
2: Ironically, the AAA team he was uh, playing for, too, is out of Vegas. So um little Oakland, uh, ah. Oakland-Vegas Oakland connection there. Yeah. Yep. A little uh, foreshadowing, <laughs> <laughs> perhaps.
0: These, things, things are ugly there.
2: Yeah, very Eight much wins. so.
0: Eight wins on May 15th, and last I checked, they had zero from their starting pitchers, so.
2: That's it, a, just a miserable situation. I feel yeah. really bad for Oakland A's fans because that's like a pretty good fan base in a team with a very storied history and a oh. ton of success. Yeah. Um, it's just got to be miserable to to watch a team that you love like that just completely crater into nothingness. And I don't know if this is
0: totally the case, but I don't think they have anything lined up to move for years. Like, I don't think, you know, 2024 is going to hit and they're just going to be safely in their new stadium in, in Vegas. I think that this is going to be a couple of years of this and might have a
2: couple of games in front of 20 fans. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, if I'm an Oakland A's fan, I'd make sure that I, uh, you know, got some new hobbies over the next <laughs> couple of years. Yeah. Um, maybe. Over maybe the other s- side of the bay. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Do do something, because uh, watching your baseball team is not going to be great. Yeah. Um, Red Sox top prospect or top pitching prospect, I should say, Shane Drowin, uh has been uh, promoted to Triple A. Uh, this news was broke by Chris Henrique um, of was it Beyond the Monster or something like that podcast? I can't remember uh, the. The title. We're all about the monsters, all all of us Red Sox folk. Um, but he broke this. He's the number one ranked Red Sox pitching prospect in the Red Sox system. Uh, and Milliken, uh, Tyler Milliken, had a a good little tweet about this. He talked about how Shane Drowen has dominated Double A this season. Uh, one sixty two ERA, two twenty six FIP across six starts. Ks per nine or 9.5 Ks per nine, 2.4 walks per nine, Uh, just absolutely dominant. Um, Was not really being challenged in Double A. The Sox prospects guys, uh, Chris and Ian, have talked kind of a lot about him on the podcast and the the progress that he's made in terms of adding velocity and adding a new pitch. Um, So you know, certainly seemed like time. Uh, what are your thoughts on Drowin? I know that you guys got asked about him last week.
0: Yeah, I think one of the questions at the end of last week was whether he could end up in Boston at some point this year and <clears throat> my conclusion was that if it happened, it would probably be out of the bullpen um, just because of the number of pitchers that we've already talked about and you mentioned Cutter Crawford and I think that they you know have an eighth and a ninth option. But you could see that as, as an arm that could, could end up later this year, especially with throw throwhands um, with his age. He's kinda, he's a 24-year-old pitcher who is pitching deep in the games. You know, he threw six innings um, in four of the six starts and then five innings in the other two starts. Um, his strikeouts have been great. His walks have been low. He's kind of doing everything. And as you said, he's got a new pitch. He's got a, a cutter that he developed so he's a four-pitch pitcher and increased his velocity from that 88 to 92 up to, you know, 93-94 range. So those are some huge changes and coming from the left side at a, you know, <clears throat> uh, different arm angle as well. I mean, some of the video that that has been posted has been really impressive and it just seems like he's probably the best starting pitching prospect in the organization at this point with the way that uh, Brian Mata has been on, unable to find the plate. So I don't know Johan has, has really been impressive. It's it's great that he's already gotten the call to AAA. It means that they must have him in their plans in some way. If this continues.
2: Yeah, I think it's great um, for a couple of reasons too. It's, um, it's a good development story for the Red Sox for sure. I mean, Drohan was a guy that they drafted for his athleticism and basically the fact that he could, he was basically a a good ball of clay for them to work with. And, you know, the fact that they've been able to get him to this point uh, says good things. And I also think that the organization is sort of taking a turn more towards athletic guys who they think that they can shape um, and being confident in, their ability to do so. And, you know, he's not the only guy we've seen who is super athletic um, make some strides like that. You know, on the major league club, Jaron Duran, a uh, super athlete who has figured it out this year with the right coaching. Um, Connor Wong, a guy who has had lots of opportunity to work with Jason Veritek over the last couple of years, has figured it out. Both super athletic guys. So, you know, it's kind of nice to see that trend of, of betting on athletes and betting on your own coaching. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're running a little bit long here, so I think we're going to uh, head on to listener questions. We have a couple questions. First one is from Sox Self, and he says, how long before Brazier signs with Tampa?
0: <laughs> and then there were some good replies about his era being under one there and (laughs) in september yeah that is like the one that's the one spot he can't go right we can't have him one figuring something out because it seems like with brazier it's always been like there's some underlying metrics or velocity or spin rate or or something right that that we were never able to kind of put our finger on as to what brazier offered you know behind the scenes so Tampa would be the team to figure that out. They've also had twelve pitching injuries and been able to get through it. We'll see how much longer they can sustain all of that. Um oh, that would be terrifying. That's the one place we do not want to see Brazier sign. Just go to the National League where we don't have to <laughs> see your face anymore. And you know, that's I I hope he uh I hope things work out for Ryan Brazier somewhere else. Just not in Tampa.
2: Yeah, you know what though, he does seem like a Tampa guy. Um, both not with, not on, only on the baseball side, but like also just like can't you see him ended up on like that Florida man blog or something like that, just but like doing something bath wild. Salt? Oh yeah, doing something wild down there. I don't know. I feel like the, his people are in Florida, so Brazier was phone wrestling an alligator <laughs> on bath yeah. salts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah i wouldn't rule it out um but <laughs> oh man we have really slandered this man
0: Again, we have. I i wish i wish ryan the best
2: yeah i i don't care uh <laughs> L- has our last uh, question here he says when wanda comes back what's the everyday lineup gonna look like and should i be excited um Bob, I'm gonna clear the floor for you because you have a hot Mondesi spicy take that I want to hear, and uh, I'm always here for a little uh, Mondesi uh, slander as well. Oh it's not
0: it's not as hot as the Pavetta, but um, well, here was Cora's quote. So, uh, Alberto Mondesi had ACL surgery over a year ago, and we heard in early March that he was kind of fifty fifty to be ready for Opening Day and then opening day happened and he was on the 60 day IL where the hell did that come from and there was really no explanation or report or anything it was just that he was fielding ground balls and he was going on the 60 day IL which seems really drastic for somebody that was 50-50 to be ready for opening day so Cora the other day said um we haven't talked about it yet about a rehab assignment so I mean Jake we're at about 60 days now right it's a you know a week from the end of May or so Um, they're not talking about a rehab assignment yet it's the whole back and forth of how he feels how he's progressing there's gonna be good days and bad days so we've just got to make sure when the bad days happen it's hey you're fine structurally you're good this is just part of the process be patient and we keep moving on okay so he was asked if it was a matter of pain tolerance and he said I believe so what feels right. He's so explosive right now. He is explosive, but not at the level he used to be. Maybe that's where it's kind of holding him back, but he was here structure. Great. He's progressing well. Now it's kind of like, just keep pushing and see where it takes. He's progressing. Well, structure. Great. The ACL surgery was over a year ago. What is the problem? I I don't know. It sounds like it's a pain tolerance thing. Sounds but like think, he's a weakling. <laughs> I think after a year, if you were watching um, this team play day after day and see the defense and speed in the middle that is missing, that is lacking, Yeah. if, if he's been listening to this podcast, anything, that <laughs> when we're at 12 and a half months and he has not talked about a rehab assignment yet and is just sitting on the 60-day IL, that something's wrong. So yeah. L- um I wouldn't expect Mondesi, and if he does come back, he's probably going to be back for a week or two, which is what's happened his
2: whole career. Would you say that Mondesi doesn't have that dog in him? (sighs) Yes. Thank you for summarizing the last two
0: minutes. (laughs) I don't know. I don't get it. And it's There's been so many Mondesi jokes, I feel like, in the threads that were in even before he was a Red Sox player, which is why it was uh, ironic that he ended up there, you know, I think we, you know, we've had Eric cross on the show before. There was nobody that he disliked more than Mondesi. And then for him <laughs> to end up being a red sock after all that was hilarious. And he's just doing the same thing here, collecting a paycheck.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's weird. Um, who's I coming really, back first, story or Mondesi? I would, I would be shocked if it's not story. Right. Truly. Um, but you're right. I mean, this is this is how his career has gone. He's never stayed on the field, and clearly, uh, it is it is more of a, you know, guys guys who stay on the field all the time play through stuff. They right. just do. Uh, everybody plays through stuff. Guys are very rarely always healthy. Um, so clearly, he's just not willing to do that to his body. And it's just a little soft. So I don't think you should get excited for him and if he does come back like bob says he'll probably last a week so you no know, don't plan on it 50 Maybe games it... since uh
0: the beginning of 2021 he's played in 50 games in two and a half years
2: let me uh give you a little little uh little over under or not an over under but a who plays more um for the rest of this season who will have more games in a red sox uniform this year Pablo Reyes. Reyes. Or Adalberto <laughs> Mondesi. Yeah, I'm going to say Reyes. Yep. Well, that tells you basically everything you need to know. Yeah,
0: because that'll probably probably be more than 10.
2: Yep. So. Well, there we go. Optimism averted to end the podcast. Um. As always, we do appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to us. Uh, you can find both of us on Twitter. You can find Bob at BobOzGood15. You can find me at DevJake. You can find the Over the Monster site at Over the Monster, and you can email us questions at RedSeatPodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, we didn't get any questions this week on that, but you know, always hit us up there if you'd like to. Longer form questions, anything get like in that. Then. Or, uh, you know, just send us uh, any recipes you like, too. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll get in the kitchen. So yep. we'll see. Um, thank you for tuning in, and we'll be with you again next week.